I'm John Underhill, and this is the Red Special Guitar Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Red Special Guitar Podcast. On this week's episode, I'm talking to someone who he probably doesn't realise yet, but is one of the main reasons I got into Brian May. Um, He has various names from different people, and you could say he wrote the book on the Red Special, and that's because he did. Simon Bradley, how are you? Nice to see you. Hello, John. I'm nice to see you, mate. Thank you for having me on. Very kind of you. No worries. You were definitely on my list as soon as I decided that I wanted to do this I thought I need to speak to Simon one to oh, yes. to tell you off for inspiring me to um, buy lots of gear and seek out the Brian Maytone from episode on episodes from reading guitarist magazine articles from back in the day and two yeah, it's guilty sorry about that <laughs> two to thank you for your, all your videos and content you've provided and the book and, and whatnot. Thank and you. Sort of, your story is um, hopefully interesting well i i hope it is interesting uh we're told by our parents you must have a career you must do this you must do that and my career is laughingly called a career because i just fell into fell into the whole thing really um it, these days if you wanted to get a job on guitarist and if anything came up you'd have to have a degree in journalism or from the national union of journalists or something like that and uh, be an intelligent person. I like to think of myself as an intelligent person, although you might not tell by the way I'm acting at the moment. Uh, but I certainly don't have any qualifications. Uh, I just got, I just applied for the job and got it. Whereas these days, you'd have to go through Indeed and all this sort of stuff, and you'd get somebody devoid of humour. Yes, which wouldn't have been so much fun over the years. No, and you, no. So, so as I ask everyone, Simon, how did you first get into all this? Obviously guitarist but how did you can you remember your first memory of queen and the first song you heard where were you i can i'm much older than most of you lot apart from maybe marky boy and uh, jp um mine was bohemian rhapsody it's as simple as that i was 10 in 1975 and i just because that video was everywhere you know, still only three channels on the telly, and we used to watch Top of the Pops and all that sort of stuff, not understanding any of it, I hasten to it, because I said I was ten. But I liked the lights, I think, and I didn't know what a guitar was, I didn't know what a band was, I don't think. I, I come from a very musical family, but uh, when we were growing up, uh, as, when we were growing up, it was more classical music, which is fine. My dad was a, he's not around anymore now, bless him, but he was a instinctive musician and can play anything. And he can. He used to be able to get a tune out of most musical instruments. And my mum is still is a music. Although she's retired now, is a music teacher. So me and my two brothers, who young, are both younger than me, are very fortunate in varying degrees and varying um, avenues of uh, of music to be able to be quite uh, class, quite well trained, classically trained, but also able to improvise things. So we are quite musically predisposed which is why I fell into the guitar. Um, my other brother's a bass player, and my little brother, who's, I say little, he's a, uh, how old would he be now? 52, I think, 51, 52. Uh, he's a professional cellist, so just goes to show. But yeah, for me, it was it was the Bohemian Rhapsody video, simple as that. And I do distinctly remember 
me and my little band, me and my little um, band of friends running around after each other on the playground, shouting Bismillah at each other. I distinctly remember that. And so, in, in, in preparation for this question, that's the only thing that I can think of. I can't pretend I knew anything about mu uh, you know popular pop music, popular beat combos, because it was all classical music in our house. The other memory that I have um, was a year later, which was somebody to love. And uh, 1976 was the hottest summer since records began um, and it was like 85 90 degrees for four months but the winter was particularly harsh conversely and I whenever I hear somebody to love um, even today it sends me right back to running around it's all about running around as children uh, in in snow up to my knees in snow because obviously I would have been 11 and every time somebody to love comes on it takes me right back to that so that's how that's my first recollection of Queen, but I didn't know who they were from anybody else. Any other, you know, any other music, you know, it was all Bay City Rollers, all the girls at school, but primary school were like the Bay City Rollers. And I liked, I remember liking the Osmonds, Crazy Horses, when it goes, I thought that was the coolest thing out. Not that I had any idea what it was. Um, by that stage, I had a classical guitar, a little three quarter size one, which I got when I was seven. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? And uh, I really got it. I really got into that. And I remember, not like today, you go online. I had a cassette, and it was two tunes. One was probably Michael rode the boat ashore, but the other one was Go and Tell Aunt Lucy. Um, I definitely that sound like Brian talking about uh, the shadows and all that sort of stuff. And I'd go, yeah, yeah, I've heard about them. But it was just two songs, uh, two chords, G and C. And I remember the tape broke halfway through me trying to learn it. So apparently I worked it all out by ear. My 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 mum told me only you know, you know not not recently, but you know certainly in my adulthood. So I I just got in, I just got into music, sort of popular guitar music from there. So it's an interesting thing, but it's Bohemian Rhapsodies to blame for everybody, really. I think. Well, I think <laughs> it's got a lot to answer for that song. And it does. <clears throat> can Can you remember when then you? you made that decision to make that leap from classical guitar to electric and was that something that Brian and Queen inspired you to do or was there another influence there and you found Queen and Brian and the Red Special a bit later? No, I, I, dis I discovered Queen in between classical guitar. It was only a nylon string guitar. It's quite pompous calling it a classical guitar. It just wasn't an electric guitar. But uh, in, between, in between there, um, I got my epiphany with Queen. It was, uh, it was jazz... Um, there was a friend of mine at school who had all the albums. Again, I, my dad had lots of 33 and 3rd RPMs. But as, as I keep saying, with classical music and jazz, he was very, very into jazz. But piano jazz, Oscar Peterson and Theolonius Monk and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, so um, it was... Sorry, when we were talking about jazz, that's right. So my friend lent me the only album of theirs that he had which was jazz, so I thought, okay, so I put it on, and as I've said elsewhere, uh, it, of all the tracks to make me fall in love with them, it was Mustafa, believe it or not. And uh, I didn't know what the guitar was, the bit that goes, that sort of bit, I had no idea what it was, I didn't know who Brian May was, didn't know who any of them were, um, and I remember, I remember distinctly, I suppose it's like falling in love with a human being, uh, for the first time properly, you know, and so that was well, that was 1978, so it must have just come out. I'm, I do remember Bicycle Race and Fat Bottom Girls, the single, the double A single has come out, 
So maybe I'd got to, <coughs> maybe I'd asked to have a listen to jazz off the back of those, but I don't necessarily remember that. Um, but what I loved about the album, of course, because it had the fold-out poster of all the naughty ladies, uh, if you remember, on their bikes, driving, uh, cycling around, was it Wimbledon, Greyhound Track, or White City or something? <coughs> I wouldn't know, I'm too young um, to know that, but, you know... <laughs> Oh, bl- oh, bless you. Well, listen to no, me. I'll tell you all about it now. No, I, I remember so it. I remember it well. That, <laughs> yeah. So I had that poster. Get this. I had that poster on my wall, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's 1978. It's not a thing that uh, a 13-year-old boy would do. And obviously you have it up, up there as you're 13 for, you know, to admire the female form. If you catch my... I won't go any further. I know it's a family podcast. It's, you're well, that's the other podcast. But uh, any... <laughs> It's the other podcast, yes. Similarly but, named, uh, but not about the guitar. <laughs> no, God, exactly. I'm on that later. But yeah, so I, but I just I remember listening to it back to back to back to back, or back 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 back, just on the vinyl, turning it over, and side uh, track one on side two was dead on time. I think yes, it was. And I've never heard anything like that. You know, just that sort of heavy sound, and I still didn't know anything about the guitar, nothing about the guitar at all. But between 1978, whenever whenever that came out, and the first time I saw them, which is a year later in 79, I bought all the albums. Just listening to you say that though, I mean I remember finding them and then going out and buying all of the CD albums I could find at that point. And it, it was in a way, yeah. I didn't couldn't afford to buy them all in one go, so I, I picked the ones that I liked very much based off of the artwork and then as I earned a bit more money as an apprentice bought some more and it was quite a nice discovery to to listen listen solidly to maybe three or four albums literally solidly all day mm. every day driving the car going to work sneakily at work on the way home yeah in in my bedroom um and then to find another album that I hadn't been able to afford later and then listen to that and go wow my there's even more good stuff it's it's a nice moment yeah, too absolutely it's, it's um and it's all, it's different today because you can go on Spotify and go Queen top tracks play and mm. it, yeah. I don't I don't know if people finding Queen today have the same experience that you had and then the slightly similar experience I had later on I don't, I mm. don't know if how people because it's a lot different to me now than it than it than it was back then. Well, I think it is, and I think kids of today inverted commas uh, must be sick of listening to people like me going on about uh, how good it was in the good old days but uh, albums are meant to be listened from track one to track ten or whatever it is and it's you remember you know I can remember the running order of them all and every album I had was on vinyl you know live killers a lot of them were gates gate falsely but the live killers thing you know just open that up and there's all the pictures of them I used to live killers was the one I, I played until I wore out because I I didn't realise until later, but I'd seen them on that tour, although I don't think anything was recorded on the crazy tour for Life Killers, but, you know, that lighting rig and on the on the, on the the sleeve, and it's yeah. just, I remember it so well going to that gig and reading about it, and whenever I read Roger saying that he hates the production on it, I sort of go, well, I, I love the production, Roger, be quiet, you don't know anything about it at all. But uh, I used to love that album, but... Uh, yeah, it was it was a proper it was a proper infatuation. I think everybody who's into it could be football, it could be anything, anything anything creative. But uh, I fell totally in love with Queen the band, and because I played the guitar, I was obviously drawn 
to uh, to Brian, and uh, it was the most plutonic of love affairs. You know, just saying, a hero, guitar hero, in the, in the true sense of the phrase, yeah. absolute guitar hero. And, uh, you know, I read everything about it, and, you know, that was the other thing. I didn't know anything about the guitar, because I used to buy any magazine that had him or Queen on the cover, on the off chance of having another picture of Brian May. And I didn't notice he had the same guitar in every picture. Um, I, I didn't know anything about guitar brands at all. I didn't know what a Les Paul was, what a Strat was, anything like that. But I remember buying a copy of International Musician and Recording World. I wrote it down here. It was a July 1981, and that was the first time I remember them talking about the homemade guitar. Um, and it, I, again, it didn't, the enormity of the fact that he'd built it from scratch with his dad didn't strike me, didn't hit me until decades later. Because I said this was 81. And I thought, oh, he's got, he built his own guitar. Blimey, did he? Well, bless my soul. You know. But it, it, it's constantly, you know, going back to all the, the guys on the forum, it, it's, I'm constantly staggered by the amount of detail that these guys know. And you know, building, building your own Red Special, irrespective of the Red Special book, just because of what Brian's done, it's in all seriousness, a constant fascination, and I'm just filled with admiration for those guys. For you guys who are listening as well, who do it, it's just it's just beyond belief. I don't know how you've got the patience to do it. It's, um, I can't make an omelette. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the great thing with the with the community, and this comes up in every podcast and every conversation I have with anyone at, yeah. at any meetup, and that is that what's so nice about what has now become the Facebook group, which is where most of most people tend to to gravitate towards is that it doesn't matter whether you are an absolutely fantastic guitar player and you sound exactly like Brian May or as close as anyone can or whether you can just afford a Burns or whether you've built your own replica using all original vintage stock parts or whoever there's a a massive mutual respect for absolutely everyone and the love of what Brian and Harold did that brings us all together Mm -hmm. and it's there is i can't find and i'm sure someone will probably find one one day but for all of the other guitarists that are out there that have done anything special there there isn't a community like we have about the person and the guitar that is so all so open to everyone and and people want to help and information is there and you know we we've got people like yourself who you obviously literally did write the book about the red special and you've worked with brian and we'll come on to that but there is no need for you to be on the forum sharing the information that you have with us. You don't have to do it. You're doing it from my because you love it and because you can see that we're all the same as you and you want to share that experience with us and, and share share that knowledge and banter well, and No, abs- absolutely. I mean I I don't you know, I I'm no I'm no better than anybody else. I just as we'll discuss, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time to do the book, but it was a lot of work. And you don't get to be in that position without having a certain level of uh, uh, celebrity is not the right word, but knowing, you know, he knows who I was long before I pitched the idea of the book. But, you know, I'm a fan, the same as everybody else who's on that forum, you know, and if I was, I can't think what my life would have been if I'd not gone into the guitar. But I, if I was into Queen, I'd want some lucky sod like me sending pictures of the, of the, body and the neck of him me holding it up and all this sort of stuff because you because you do and i you know i I don't share those pictures lightly i promise because brian's very 
very um, aware of his privacy. You know, you'll notice there aren't any pictures that I post. He posts loads, but he can that I, that I've taken of inside the house because he specifically asked me not to do so. He never tells you to do anything. Um, he asks you not to do. We don't normally share pictures like that. He'll say, and I'll go fine. You know that picture of us, um, me and him talking that Pete took, and it inspired a conversation of the biscuits and the and the cups of tea on the table there um he was happy for that to go out because that's in the in the refectory and i've been to many rock stars houses um and when you get to that sort of that sort of statue and the size of the house that these people have one half is for business which is that the only half that people like me ever see the other half is where he lives yeah you know that's where he watches coronation street or you know that's where he's you know that's where he studies and that's where he's you know that's where his living spaces that like you know like normal people like us would understand what a, what a living space is yeah but um yeah it's it's his privacy and he does a lot of interviews from his house in in the in windlesham in allison hall these days and that's where we do that's where i've interviewed him several times well four times i've counted twice face to face and twice on the phone uh before we started doing all the book stuff but he's a great—he's a great guy, and it's like I was saying earlier. It's very weird to be sat at one end of a sofa while Brian May's at the other, strumming on the Red Special while he's talking about Freddie Mercury. Yeah. It's very, very strange indeed. I really can imagine. Is. It's a very—I um, can only yeah. only imagine. It's a, <clears throat> it must be a very surreal thing, especially. I mean, Brian May yeah. himself, and obviously this is the Red Special Guitar Podcast. But you mentioned uh, him talking about Freddie, and I mean, yeah. Wow, imagine being sat in a room with Brian May talking about Freddie Mercury as well. I mean, that is the straight from the horse's mouth. That is the... Yeah. It it really is, but he only ever mentions in Fred in passing. Um, he, he sp- he's spoken more about him uh, when we were doing the book, especially the updated version, which had the chapter on the film. Um, more than anything else, but, you know, you would never... As a journalist, I, I would never have asked him anything about Freddie Mercury uh, because you know it, because it's baked in. And when he's talking about Queen, he's obviously talking about the four of them. Yeah. And I'm all, I also want to make sure that he knows that I don't think that it's Freddie Mercury and Queen, which is a mistake that lots of non-believers do make, which does get me very angry. I'm get me very angry. I must say, it's like it's not Freddie Mercury and his band Queen. It's no. not. It's 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 all four of them, and they wouldn't be the same if it was another member. They might not be better, might might be worse, but they wouldn't be the same. But he does talk about it, and he's he's um, he does talk about Fred. But I n- I never bring it up unless unless the goal is yawning, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And then you have to be very aware. You're not saying how did you feel when he died and all that sort of stuff, because that's just a that's a Sun writer's question. That's a tabloid crap. I don't ever need to go there. Go there, but if he brings him up, I will. I will follow it through uh, as a li- as a line of questioning, and it's never. You know, he never gets uncomfortable about uh, talking about it. But we, what we all have to remember as fans, is that they they were they were thick as thieves. The four of them, well, the three of them, until John joined, they really were. You know, it's sort of like how would any of us feel if some red-faced journal like me was going on about how do you feel when your mate died? Yeah. Nobody's going to take any line of questioning like that. But he does talk about him, and especially about the film. Um, they were very aware of protecting the legacy of Freddie, and you know he did talk at length about uh, about Freddie in the in 
and the interviews I did for that chapter in the book. So it was really interesting. No, I think the film's a great, great example of how to do something and then protect someone's legacy. And I think Rami plays yeah. it very well. And if you, you know, mm. there's a few scenes where you squint your eyes a bit, and it is Freddie on the screen. And I think yes. it was very sympathetic to how how he should have been depicted. Yes, I, I agree totally. Yeah. Right. So anyway, <laughs> let's take a moment there to sorry, Freddie Mercury. Sorry. No, this is it's, yes, not quite. Let's. It's so you forget, don't you? Not forget because you can't forget. But there's, I don't know. We're talking about the guitar, but obviously there's a whole wider part of Queen and Brian's influence from the other mm. f- three band members as well in how his playing and writing yeah. would have evolved. And we, we haven't I haven't actually picked Fantastic. that with anyone yet. It tends to be more about. Brian and Harold, and then people making stuff. So it's yeah. a really interesting thing to explore, Simon. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. I just can't can't imagine being sat in a room with Brian talking about Freddie, though. That. <laughs> well, I'll tell I'll tell you about the first time. First time we did him. I mean, it's uh, the first time was for guitarist. Again, I wrote it down. It was January July nineteen ninety eight, and uh, we went down. I went down with Neville Martin, who hopefully most of you will know, who's a former editor of guitarist. He's still editor of Guitar Techniques, and uh, Brian Brian knew Nev, and so I demanded to go. I, th- I can't remember why we were doing the interview. I think it was something to do maybe one of the solo albums. I can't remember nineteen ninety eight. I can't remember what was going on. But uh, we went, but we went down there, and um, I was like a rabbit in the headlights for the entire thing. So um, Neville was interviewing him, but I begged to be allowed to sit in, and I just sat there like, like, um, you know, Uncle Fester in the corner, just going, <laughs> while Brian and and uh, Neville were talking about the music or whatever the album was. But it turned out, as people know, Brian's very affected by depression. And it turned out later, much later, that he was in a very dark place when we were doing that interview in that sort of time. It was a time when the guitar was being restored by Greg Fryer. So Greg was there as well. So it was a very interesting time. I wish I could go back there knowing both how to do it and knowing Brian like I do now. Uh, Because the guitar was in bits. Greg was there doing this doing all his magic wizardry in one of the anterooms off of, of, of the main of the main house in, in the West Wing. Well, Nev, Brian and I were in, in the front room and Nev was, in his usual great style, getting Brian to talk when it was obvious that Brian had no interest in talking at all. And I made an ex- excellent faux pas at the end of it, said, can I have my photo taken with you? And he went, oh, God. He went like, he actually went like that. And I sort of, shrank away I still got the photo god damn it <laughs> but on the way home I just you know I'm in for a penny in for a pound but I never thought after that that you know how 20 odd years later we'd be talking about a book that I wrote with him but yes interviewing rock stars is as we've said a dangerous occupation if you don't was know that, what you're doing was that the first time you'd met him for that interview yeah so quite mm-hmm. an interesting first experience well, it was. I mean, it's again. I'm showing me age, but when you were at school, there was the knit nurse. You had to be. Uh, she would go through your hair to check with your knits. 
There was also a certain thing that boys had to go through, but I won't bother. We, everybody knows what that is. <coughs> Cough. Everybody knows what that is. But we, I was in an anteroom with me, Nev, there was a photographer, James Cumsty, and Pete Malandrone, although I didn't know Pete at all. And uh, I think Sarah Bricus must have been there as well. And all of Brian's public rooms um, are oak-panelled, believe it or not. So we were just chatting. I was in a state of nervous tension, just shaking. And we heard this clumping down the corridor. And, of course, he was wearing his clogs. I don't think he wears them so much now, but he was wearing clogs. Who wears clogs? Anyway, that's another story. And I thought, and it all went quiet. And it was akin to the Nick Nurse coming down. Right, who's first? It was, and then Brian May walks in, in his clogs, 500 feet tall, with the hair... He's still black at those at those days, um, in black jeans and a sort of velvet coat, blue coat. And I was just, I said, I was just looking at him. I just looked at him adoringly, and then it went downhill from there. But we've got a good feature, so that's all that matters. Then the next, then the next year, which was 1999, uh, we got him for the National Music Show when he played live. Yep. A few, I know JP and I have talked about that a lot. I know quite a few people were there. Mark was there as well, I'm sure. Um, is, and is I was much more au fait. Is that the one with the recording that's on. on YouTube? Yeah, that's with the delays. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, when I basically just interviewed it, when I basically just interviewed him on stage in front of what was it, twenty two hundred people or something? Yeah. And he was just charm personified, and he was a much better place, and he was a much better mood as well. And that showed. You know, I'd be, I'd be, I'd been mates with Pete. I was mates with Pete by then, so I'd been. T- talking to him about what the gear was going to be and we decided that Pete would have to stand by the amps and turn them off when Brian wasn't talking because the hiss was so <laughs> cataclysmically loud as we all know <laughs> you couldn't actually hear what we were talking through our monitors because three AC30s hissing away like a like a toaster in a bath you know um, but he was great. He was lovely that day. That's the first time I got to... I knew all about the guitar by then. It's the first time I actually got to play it. And playing, you know, playing the Red Special through his rig, which I've done a couple of times since, but that was the first time. And uh, it made me cry. Not in front of anybody. Well, only Mallers. But I've cried in front of him many times since then for various reasons. <laughs> that's again, another, all these different stories. But yeah, but that's the first time I did it. Just to a sound check. He goes, well, you did the sound check, brothers. So it just went clang, and it was just, honestly, the sound that you get that he gets out of that thing, even with me playing it. You know, I think the closest that any of you guys have got is Thomas, and he was doing a, a demo of his stuff that Nigel had made, and that's the closest I've heard of any of you guys. Um, it sounded just like Brian May, just like him, which is no mean feat. And I just sounded like me. But honestly, that thing through three AC30s on full, it, it's like a it's like a bucking bronco. It really is. If you take your hands off it, it goes like that because it's hollow. Well, it's mostly hollow, semi-hollow. And uh, but if you get it right, that it's just a G chord. If you can do the sustained note on the E, uh, E on the A string, like I've got the beginning of We Will Rock You, it's amazing. It, it would go on forever. But uh, yeah, so by the t- so within that uh, 1998, I was an idiot in front of him. A year later, I was we were great in front of people at Wembley, and I said, "What's it like to play Wembley again?" And he said, "It's smaller than I remember." <laughs> and we laughed. Oh, how we laughed! 
and uh, yeah, much fun was had by all. And as he as he went off to the limo, well, his his Volvo to be driven home, he said, "Oh, you should come round for tea." I remember saying to Pete much later, "Should I come round for tea?" And he went, "No, no, don't do that. No, <laughs> he was just being nice. <laughs> come round for tea, okay? I want biscuits, Brian? <laughs> What's your favourite? <laughs> Hobnobs or rich tea?" The old chocolate digestion is my friend, we know that. Well, we do. That's we been well that. debated. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> well documented as well, yeah. <laughs> we, we, no, I won't go there. No. But how many, hole, no, how many holes did those biscuits have? Because were they the traditional digestives from the 80s, or were they the... No. <laughs> oh, f- blimey, I don't know. He probably would have blocked them up with matchsticks. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> yeah. No, I, I didn't count the holes in these biscuits, John. <laughs> Sorry. Anal, I might be stupid. I'm well, you know, that. there'll be right. someone on the forum that's recreating <laughs> that scene because that's the secret to the tone. It is the secret to the tone. It's having wheaty bits on your fingers. Yeah. Definitely. That's um, how he gets that crispy <laughs> sound. Oh, don't. We're going bad. We are. Well, it wasn't going to go any better, was it? <laughs> no. No, it's... It's already falling down. It is. Well, it, yeah. It's the best way, though. But so... I mean, Indeed. just taking stock of what you've said, so you, you obviously, yeah. you're working for guitarists at the point where you go to meet him at his house and you, you tag along with Nev to, mm-hmm. to listen and you're, you're staring yeah. gormously at him. And then a year later, just one, one year later, you're up on stage in front of several thousand people interviewing him and getting to play through yeah. the Red Special. The, the little yeah. boy inside of you must have been difficult to contain with, with that. Uh, it's... it's it... No, it definitely felt like it was happening happening to somebody else. Definitely, I was I was much more experienced uh, at interviewing full stop, irrespective of the stature of the interviewee. And uh, it was part of a busy weekend because I was like running the live stage. So there were two, you know, there was Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers there. There was uh, the drummer from Oasis, Steve Alan White. I think it was Alan White. Sorry, drummers. I think it was Alan White. There was a, a Japanese drummer called uh, Jumbo Akira who I don't really know but he's a massive Yamaha player you know Paul Gilbert as well for God's sake so it's you know it was um it was like backstage at Live Aid it was awesome yeah. but I was supposed to be managing the whole thing so I didn't have time to get to get that nervous before doing Brian not least because I was looking after Paul Gilbert as well and he's big enough in, in the, he's a he's a much you know Brian says he's not seen anybody play like that since Nuno Betancourt and that's saying something um, so I was I was dealing with schedules I was dealing with managers you know I, subscri- previously I'd been faxing Jim Beach of all people <laughs> trying to book Brian May you know it's like booking a band for your wedding but I just happened to be speaking to Jim Beach Jim Beach I was more I was more startled by Jim Beach than I was about Brian May at the time believe it or not and it, you know the fax comes back. Fax again. That's dead, that dates it. Comes back with the Montreux Studios or whatever it whatever it is. And it's like oh, this is just ridiculous. But it definitely feels like it definitely felt like it was happening to somebody else. But I'd managed to get myself not worked up in a bad way, but I was really looking forward to it. So instead of dreading it, which was an easy emotion, I could have fallen into in that could have fallen into that emotion. I was really looking forward to it. And so I walk on and Pete's got the amps and they're hissing away and I, and I walk on and there's a massive round of applause because 
you know, I can't make any bones about it. Guitarist was a massive magazine then. Yeah. Not, it's not quite so big now because lots of it's gone online. But in those days, everybody read Guitarist who was a guitar player. Everybody who was in that audience to see Brian May read Guitarist. So they knew who I was. And uh, it's my luck, 15 minutes of fame. I mean, I, you know, I find that quite embarrassing because what have I done? You know, I just drink heavily and write and make, and do, make funny jokes. That's all I do. I'm not, I'm not a celebrity by any stretch of the imagination, but people knew what was going on. They knew why they were there. They knew who I was. And I come and they do a massive round of applause. And I go, oh, shut up. I'm nervous enough, which got a laugh. This is the, this is the rubbish that's on YouTube. So I interview Brian May and do the old bowing in front of him. You know, we're not worthy. And 45 minutes later, it was over. Yeah. Just talking and he got the guitar out. Uh, I think he said, we need to, we're missing somebody on stage, I think. And Pete went and got the guitar out. And that, you know, the, the guitar got the biggest, the biggest roar of all. And uh, as I say, it's, it's, it's enduring popularity because it's only a guitar. That people don't necessarily know that he made it himself. You know, we do. And as I've already said, it took me 15 years of liking Queen, uh, 15 years of liking them before I even knew he made his own guitar. But it's a celebrity in its own right. And, you know, although we know that he made it himself, when you say that to other people, even at the book launch, or some, some journo from Fleet Street said, well, why, didn't he, why does he make his own guitar? Why doesn't he make another one? And you're going, well, if I have to explain that to you, I'll have to stamp on your neck. I mean, I've no idea. He made it himself. Well, was it easy to do? And it's like, oh, I've just got to go and speak to Pete. You know, come on, man. Oh, <laughs> just crazy. Oh, no. But there you go. The struggle is real. I mean, yeah, poor. I, yes. I feel sorry for my wife because I, I built my own last year. And before she met mm. me, she knew who Queen were and Brian May, but she hadn't got a clue. He built his own guitar and the story behind it no. and the amount of stuff anyone I speak to is like why did you build your own guitar and you're like well just sit down for 45 yes. minutes and let me tell you <laughs> yes hold this, hold this it's going to be a long one it's, um, oh yeah the gospel has to be spread eh? well <laughs> you know what? again what other guitar player in the world decided he wanted to play electric guitar family said can't afford it dad says I'll tell you what son mm. Let's build one and make it the best guitar that's ever been built. They go on to build that guitar. The son becomes rock star with guitar, uses it for the rest of his career, and might, writes and plays the most iconic songs ever played and heard to to man at all. I mean, that's a pretty big thing yeah. in my book. Um, it's 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 unbelievable. Even you know we've we've both heard that story that timeline a million times, and it's still incredible. Yeah, and that, you know, even if somebody had done that and then put it under the bed and gone on to finish their PhD in zodiacal dust through the cosmos or whatever the blimmin' it was, it would be incredible enough in 1962, 63, 64. But as you say, to have played the solo to Bohemian Rhapsody on it, let alone everything else, is quite unbelievable in the true sense of the word. Quite unbelievable. It is, and you... I mean... I mean, that's why the podcast is here, really. It's, it's just to grab the stories of the people who have been inspired by it over the years and who yeah. have helped tell the story of it and who've been involved with it and to hear everyone's sort of view on it. And it's um, mm. it, I, some of it's difficult to put into words, but, I mean, you, you obviously... D does it ever come up? Have you ever had the conversation with Brian about, like, 
when he's playing it is it a link to Harold is that because I personally when I look at it now I see obviously the guitar has some massive sentimental value for all the reasons but yeah there's got to be that sort of um, homage to his, his dad every time he picks it up he must remember that relationship and you can see and not I don't know that you can see but from the outside looking in obviously with the movie coming out and he's becoming a lot more aware of yeah. of I don't want to be crass but his own mortality and the sentimental side of things and is that something that's yeah. ever come up did that come up when you were writing the book with him or was it sort of un, unwritten well, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it ever. I don't know if it came up as as, as a subject. But when you're talking about them building it, um, you know, he was an only child, so that's a, that's a, that's a start. You know, he, he didn't have anything uh, anything going with siblings. Um, there's a great book called "Is This the Real Life" by Mark Blake, and he goes into great detail about the intimacy of the three of them, Mum, Dad, and Brian, and the academic expectancies that um, Harold had for, for Brian which is one of the reasons why they fell out when he decided to leave university and go full time with Queen and then they made up um, in 1978 uh, backstage wherever it was Madison Square Garden Madison wasn't Square it? Garden, when he, yep. Anyway that fam- yeah that famous story when Harold says oh I get it but absolutely I mean I don't his mum didn't have anything to do with it at all other than it was her knitting needle and and her pearl buttons that he purloined to make the various bits, you know, the the, in, the inlays in the tremolo bar. But I think reading between the lines again, it's a subject that you don't like, Freddie. You don't say, you know, how did you feel? How you know? I, I'm the interest that I have as far as doing the book, um, the relationship that he has with his dad is is all part of the story. So I did, didn't need to be hammered home in the narrative or hammered home by my by my questions by my interviewing because it's there um but you know because brian has kept all the bits you know he's got the original hammer his dad's hammer it's only a you know a normal hammer like you get from home base but it's the same one they've got the same the same workbench that they built the damn thing on the same vice that he held various bits in uh, to drill through like the rollers on the saddle on the saddles, saddle rollers, on the bridge. So there we go. He's got the original vice that he held the aluminium in that he drilled to make the rollers. He's still got all that stuff yeah. in boxes. It, it, you know, the archive is is is. It is like Indiana Jones. A bit at the end of Indiana Jones where there's boxes off into the distance. It's like that. I, 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 they don't let people go in there. But amongst all, all the, you know, he's got programs from 1980 and you know, boxes of programs from 1980. Um, are, are boxes that say Brian's guitar bits? It literally says that. And that's where they found the, one of the, in one of those boxes a couple of years ago, that's where they found the original pickups that they wound for the original, you know, that, that Brian couldn't work out the polarity, so they yeah. squealed, and that's why he went and got Trisonics. But he's got all this stuff. You know, I don't have my first guitar anymore. I've got I've no idea where it, my little classical. No idea where it is. But he, the, through all the times that they've had that he's had, I don't know how many times he's moved house. But it's not a. It's you know, it's a, it's a mansion. It's an absolute mansion. And the fact that these pickups could have been lost in the bowels of the archive for the for that long, and then it turned up just a couple of years ago. Um. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite staggering. But I think every time he thinks about the guitar, when he's 
um, grilled by the likes of me about what it was like building it. He'll think of his dad, and he does go quiet on occasion. You know, my, my dear old dad's been dead 17 years, and every so often I'll go, oh, bless him, he'd love to have seen this. You know, he'd love to, my dad would have loved to have seen this book. He knew how much I liked Queen. Yeah. So I could empathise with Brian up to a point. You know, it's not, it's not all about um, passed away fathers, but, you know, it's a, the guitar is definitely a totem for him, for his dad. Yeah. And Brian has often called it his shield, hasn't he? He'll stand behind him yeah. as his shield to protect him from whatever he perceives is coming to get him. And so, yeah, that guitar is much more than just a guitar. And not just for the reasons we've talked about. It's, it's, it's quite... I still can't describe it in words, and I'm supposed to be paid to be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a better job than I am. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's what I'm paid to do, love. So can you, Simon, can you, we've obviously, we've jumped around a little bit. Can you remember okay. the time that, that light bulb moment where you suddenly went, ah, he made that guitar himself and it started to sink in and the gravity sort of, of, of what, of Queen and your experience sort of started to, to smack you in the face? Yeah, I think it was, it was the whole no synthesizers thing because I, again, I didn't know anything about how to make music, but once I discovered from that issue of uh, International Musician and Recording World that he made his own guitar and that all of those strange sounds that you heard on Queen Records came from the guitar. That's when I started going, ah, now how on earth did he do that? And that's when I discovered the Deaky Amp and all that sort of, all that sort of thing. But it was, um, it's those guitar orchestrations that he did, All Dead, All Dead, I'm specifically thinking of. That is just a beautiful sound, just when it goes off and the piano goes into the major key and they all float off into, into heaven or wherever they're going. You know, you, wouldn't, you couldn't have guessed that was a guitar in a million years. But it turns out it's a guitar that he made with his dad through an amp that John made from bits found in the skip. I mean, it's just, you couldn't, you can't, you can't, you just can't, you can't catch your breath, as an old boss of mine used to say. So it wasn't until um, I reviewed the first Burns whatever that was, 2001, 2000 and something, and could play around with the switches um, to my heart's content. Because when I, did, when I, when I uh, was playing around with the, with the Red Special for the National Music Show, I didn't muck about with the switches. It was just a neck and middle in phase and clang, the humbucker setting. But mucking about with the switches on the burns, that was, that was the light bulb moment. Because I did a, obviously he did the demo for the CD. He yep. did a burns demo for that. Yeah, go on. I was going to say because you oh, did. Oh, sorry, a, I thought so. I'm sorry. You, you, that's right. No, you did a demo, didn't you, with the guitarist? He did the CD with a, a thing on it, and then you did a, a write-up on it. And was there a lesson, a Queen lesson, yeah, in did. the back of that book as well? You'll have to remind. I can't remember. As I said, it was so long ago. I do remember doing the review, um, and that was like a, that was like a dream come true. I've been able to play around with it. Um, and get all the different sounds out of it, you know, everything out of phase with everything else, and doing that honky sort of that whole that sound that sounds so horrible by itself, but actually embedded within the music seems to fit somehow. Again, that you know, the Deaky has a, in my opinion, has a pretty unattractive sound by itself, but with the guitar that adds a bit of meat, meat to it, um, and the music that they put it all in, again, it just works. Why? Who knows? I don't really care. I'm just glad that that music's out there. But yeah, all those 
What was the what was the other? There's another orchestration that really got me going. Um, no, sorry, it's gone. It's off date. The races. Oh, I'm just hopeless. <laughs> oh, good old fashioned lover boys. Sorry, they got there. Got there eventually. Which is a very different sound to All Dead, but it's still just the musicianship is what I appreciated. But as I said, playing around with the Burns for the for the review was when I got my head around the fact that actually they come they came up with all that. Yeah, that, that system. It's never yeah, been. It's never been replicated by anybody. No. Well, the only replication of it is the Strange. the BMG Ariel that comes out very shortly. But I remember that. that well, quite. You have a lot to answer for as well, Mr. Bradley. In my own. <laughs> Sorry. In my own <laughs> quest, because I was a young man getting into music, and I'd been aware of Queen and Brian May, and I was playing guitar a little bit, and. I bought the Guitarist magazine because it had a review of a guitar that looked like Brian's guitar on the front. Well, it might not have been on the front of it, but it talked about it. And then your review. And then right. it just every time then I went, it seemed to be when I was able to go and buy a guitar magazine, there would be, I'd always look through Guitarist. And if there was um, an article on Brian May, which turns out you wrote all of them, then I would pick it up and add it to yeah. my collection. <laughs> hey, and so you, you are the enabler of tens of thousands of pounds of expenditure. In questing for this well, like that. tone, that I humbly, I humbly apologise, but it's all, it's all part of the fun, isn't it? No, and I, what's interesting is that again doing the podcast is all of our stories are very similar in like how we got into it, and yes, it, it, there yeah. must must be something that's within all of us that means we gravitate towards this story and this guitar. But yeah, you you've, you've got a lot to answer for yourself too, sir. <laughs> Yes, I have been told that many times, yes. So sorry. He's not sorry at all. I can see him on Zoom. And <laughs> not he's, in the slightest, no. <laughs> no, I'm not sorry at all. I don't own a red special, so I don't care. No. Well, you ought to sort that out, really. <laughs> Do you think I haven't tried? What's the block? Is I'm not saying you? anything more on this subject. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think your wife's going to listen to this. My own wife doesn't listen to this. No, she's downstairs wishing I'd shut up, I'm sure, bless her. No, so you, you obviously then go on in Guitarist, and I used to buy Guitarist, and I think I subscribed at one point, and you were always there writing about the Brian May stuff. I actually um, I had a few guitar lessons when I was starting out, and I had a chap whose kid went to school with me and it turned out he was also an author for guitarist and he used to write a lot about stevie ray vaughan which is julian piper i don't know if you ever oh yes i know julian yeah a, yeah unfortunately julian passed away um last year i think yeah. quite suddenly yeah. which is very sad mm -hmm. i went to school with his son sam and julian um was very good to me when i started out in trying to explain to me about certain things um to do with the guitar but yeah no i used to to, to buy them every time and every time I went to the shop specifically looking for something you popped up with another article about the mm. the guitar and I used to think what a lucky chap that chap there is Mr Bradley <laughs> <laughs> well we uh, we try to we try to get Queen content or Brian content in once a year so we would guitarists would do 13 or 14 monthly issues I mean a year annual issues once a one a, one a month but for all the t for the twelve months, you'd have like a Christmas issue, which would be thirteen, and, and a summer issue as well, when they were really flogging us to death. But um, you know, once I'd got a relationship with Pete, and I knew as long as I didn't take advantage of his uh, welcoming, I could ring up 
and we could get an interview or some first-hand Queen content, you know, once a year. So you know, it was the what we what we used to do, and what lots of magazines do is sort of, are there any are there any anniversaries coming up? You know, if you can fill the cover of an issue that's eight or nine months down the line, especially if it's a sort of meagre month. Then, then you're doing your job. And I mean, I'm thinking of the, the last time I did him face-to-face for the magazine, which obviously wasn't for the book, was for the 30th anniversary of Night at the Opera. So I went, we went down there, which is, I've got it written down, October 2005, and uh, I just talked to him about a Night at the Opera, which is a, thr- a, a thrill, because it's a fantastic album. But a couple of nice little asides from that, um, in the magazine, I uh, mistakenly gave the the art department the inner sleeve of Day at the Races to use as page furniture, which got me absolutely hung, drawn, and quartered. But also, if you remember the, of that issue, the cover has got Brian on the has got Brian on the cover. We got our own photography, but he's got um he's got his uh, his first acoustic guitar. Um, rather than the red special, and is smiling. Sitting in the room talking to Brian May about a night at the opera. <laughs> no, there's no, there's there's worse ways to spend an afternoon for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, one of the mm. issues that always sticks in my mind is the is it the fifty greatest guitars, or the fifty most expensive guitars? And I oh think, yes, yeah. And the the reason was that I think. There was I forget number one was what a Stratocaster might have been Eric Clapton's number one Strat or something and then Jimi Hendrix Strat and then some other stuff yeah. and then I don't know if you you probably had had a say on it but you opened the pages and there was a picture of Brian May and then a really lovely picture of the Red Special where you could see a lot of detail and mm. lots of bits and bobs yeah. that you couldn't really pick out and I literally must have spent days of my life staring at that thing trying to see if I could notice anything different and then phoning Mark Reynolds or Mike Ride or or whoever and go mm. did you notice that on the knob this is and you <laughs> it's weird isn't it every yeah a lot of lots of people do that I do remember that feature I think it was top 10 rather than top yeah, 15 but it it's certainly it's I think it would have been because we got a we got a, um, a value uh, an auctioneer in yeah. to give sort of fake because they weren't actually going to be sold and the red special was the one that um he said, well, it's priceless. You can't put a price on it because it's not worth anything. Yeah. Oh, but if, well, in compar- it's in comparison to Clapton's or, or, or Strat played by Hendrix because more people can empathise with a Fender Strat because everybody has a Fender Strat. Whereas one's, the value of that guitar is down to the perspective oil shake is going to buy yeah. it knowing and caring that it was made that it's a, that's a, that's a homemade thing a handmade thing um, but I don't think there was a vi- I don't think there was a value placed on no, that piece I, I remember writing that actually that particular bit because we all wrote our own bits it was priceless I think but, yeah that was a nice picture on that, yeah it? it was a lovely picture yeah. and uh, um, that magazine mm. my own copy is thumb turned to hell because of looking at the yeah. front cover and then looking at the pictures and it's thing uh, it's just different light lighting you don't know it at the time but the way different lighting affects photo- photographs and lenses and editing and all the other nuances of taking photos which at that point is 
staring at this thing going how do i get something like that because my burns is not yeah. anywhere near that and it doesn't look like that and it no it sounds lovely and it's a great great instrument but it's not got the same tremolo and the same bridge and the same no. it just doesn't look like it doesn't have that look and there's a distinctive look between a really really good red special copy and a non really good red special copy where because it's got its own character and i yeah I like the ones that look yeah. like they're homemade. Yeah, fair. Enough. I know what you mean. Yeah, well, that's the po- that's part of the aesthetic of the original, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, because it is homemade. It is. If you come to the meetup. No, I do intend to as soon as we're allowed. Absolutely, it's been too long. It's always, it always falls on weekends when I'm working. I just can't do it. But um, yeah, I'd love to actually meet all of you guys. It'd be great. Well, I think you'd be so welcomed as well because everyone appreciates what you've done for us in guitarist magazines and um the book which we'll come on to and then your website and keeping us up to date and answering questions and whatnot which i said earlier you've got no you don't have to do that it's the same way pete doesn't have to turn up to the meetup nigel doesn't have to tell us the intricate details of how a circuit works and i I, I don't know. I get this feeling that there is a mutual respect there between mm. us and yourselves who are in the know and in there that you appreciate what we appreciate enough that you're happy to share information with us because you know we're not going to run off and, and do things with it and that we we really do actually appreciate it and mm. and whatnot. I don't know. Well, I think, I, I, think it's, as far as, I think it's all part of the service. I mean, I think... Pete's a slightly different kettle of fish because he's um, he he has to look after Brian um, in a professional capacity. You know, when they're on the road and everything. Um, you know, I'm Nigel's great. I, we've, me and Nigel have become very close the last eighteen months or so for various reasons, which we'll go into. But he's just fantastic, lovely bloke. Guyton's a great bloke. You know, I so said Pete's one of my best mates now. In all seriousness, so I'm I, I'm very grateful for all of this for that. Um, but you know, none of us are any more worthy than anybody else, really. It's just, you know, the, the story of how Pete got the gig as a guitar tech is on Queen Online. You have to dig it up, but it's there. And his is to say, you know, his his uh, the Brownian motion of his jobs, which led up to him being guitar tech for Brian May, is as random as mine is coming to do the book or coming to be on guitarist. He just happened to be the right place at the right time and the right bloke for the job. Yeah, but um, yeah, but you know, Nigel's talks in a foreign language and he's going on about capacitors and all that sort of stuff. I just take the piss and he goes, "It's only because you don't understand it." And I go, "Yeah, it is." <laughs> and, it's, and the same, it's the same with Guyton. But it's very nice to be able to speak to these people as mates. Yeah. You know, whenever I needed, whenever because I'm, I could Brian misclassified the a, the Vox AC30 for the book. He said, it, I can't remember which way around it goes, but he said it was a Class AB, where it's not, it's a Class A. And I could just ring up Nigel very quickly, and he goes, he always says that, no, it's a Class A. So I just made that, I corrected that error in the copy without telling him, because it was just, because it was just incorrect. I'm sure he said it was an AB, and it isn't, it's an A, but I just wanted to be certain. And I can just ring up Nigel, and I can always just ring up Pete. Oh, Pete, when, when is he you? Because I, I didn't know that he used the Deaky Live. 
and several people, several guys on the forum correctly me, assured me that he did. I said, no, they don't. I thought, hang on a minute. So I, I could just ring Pete. And he goes, yes, he does. And I went, thank you very much. You know, what did you use the wah pedal for? And he tells me. So I can just ring up and, and being privy to that sort of information is as much a thrill for me as it as it is for anybody else, believe me. I can't, I'm not in a position to, to ring up Brian on spec. I'd never do that. But I can ring Pete because he's my mate. And if he yeah. says he doesn't know, he'll tell me he doesn't know, and then that's fine. That's how it works. Now, all, all of our interactions with, with the, the names you've named, are, I mean, Andy, Andy Guyton, I've done some work with Andy on the Time Warp guitars, so been in mm. communications with him now for several years. I've known him since he started making the yeah. original replicas, but in more recent mm. years, <clears throat> communicate with him a fair bit. And you couldn't ask to meet a nicer, more down-to-earth, lovely, skilled chap no, that is so great. so humble yeah. to his own craft it's unbelievable yeah absolutely <laughs> and, um, no, he's he's a genius he's ridiculous and what he can't make he just isn't worth making it's it's ridiculous and then nigel as well nigel's been a fantastic forum member and come to lots mm. more meetups and than, than lots of us and has always supported yeah. them and again it's um i had a, a technical issue with the ariel podcast where my recording equipment wasn't quite right and the levels aren't right and Nigel was just flat out oh, if you want me to help you with it John just just send me the audio for the podcast and I'll I'll get it right yeah. for you and you're like you don't have yeah. to do that Nigel There's, I'm I'm doing this for documenting stuff but you don't you know you're just offering your services for free and the story of Pete coming to the meetup in Reading we hadn't invited him mm. not because we didn't think he'd come but I don't like to think that people would come to the meetup because they're expecting something or someone to come it should be because they want to come to see their friends and mates and people yes. walked in and then genuinely mm. in that moment spent time with absolutely every single person who had bought something with them to show and mm -hmm. he picked up matt netherwood's guitar and got the next two thick and he went over to luke timmins pedalboard and he programmed luke's g major 2 for him to brian's settings and he didn't have to do that I can't imagine if you went to a Steve Vai convention that Steve's tech would wander around and and do do the same thing. I can't think anyone else would do that. And it's, no, I think they get, Steve's tech certainly wouldn't. No, <laughs> I think they get. I, yeah, I think a lot of things get lost in communication, especially with written form. But having met all of them at least once in a capacity, I think they're all top blokes and they're all doing the same thing that we're yeah. doing. Yeah, they they are and they are. You're absolutely right. I'm glad that's come. I'm glad that's come across because Pete is is one of the most generous people I've ever met. He really is. He's a pro since the National Music Show thing in '99. We've been mates ever since, which is great. You know, I can talk to him for hours and not talk. I, I never talk to him about Brian May because it's like talking about work. You know, he'll bring yeah. it up on occasion, but we've got much more things to laugh about than you know than talking about Brian. Really, yes. Things that are on your phone that you've said as other things recently on the forum that I'm sure I've read have been you looking at other stuff, but we won't go down that road. Uh, it was he. He. I was showing him uh, uh, the woman, um, the Queen of Dragons from Game of Thrones on on that picture actually. Yeah, not a picture of. She wasn't wearing much, which is. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, of course not. I can't say I was showing Peter a pair of boobs. I can't show him that. Because Brian no. took the picture, I can't, you know, yeah. can't debase <laughs> Brian's photographic skills. <laughs> it's a great picture. It's a great picture. 
It's very well. It's a, it's very, it is a great picture. Very well framed. In there. I like the mm. composition. Well, it's not his first time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely composition. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Would have looked better in stereo, <laughs> but you know. Oh, don't start off. <laughs> yeah, stereo, God. No. So sorry. Go on, go on. <laughs> sorry, we've, we've digressed completely. Um, we have again. So you, you've obviously then you've you've met Brian. You've written articles about it, and then your time with how do how do you get onto writing the book and pitching in the book? Because I was aware of as a fan on the old Brian May. I forget which forum it was on, but there's there's always been murmurs and rumours about a book being made or a want to do a book. Is did that come from you? to them or was that something that they had thought about and then asked you to do or you heard they'd thought about it and thought well I could do that for you is no that the whole the whole thing as far as I'm aware came from me um he's often talked about even during the process of doing our book because it's ours not mine mine and Brian's uh, that he's also he's all always wanted to talk talk about do it but talk about doing one but as I'm not aware of any documentation that would have taken would have sorry would have made up a book about the red special prior to the one that we did but as far as i mean it's I, we can blame pete again for this uh, working on guitarists we used to review a lot of stuff including books and i think i've told this story before but uh i can't remember what it would have been but it would have been let me see 2011 maybe uh we got the book through um of uh, david gilmore's black strat and uh it wasn't very well written. The repro was really poor, in my opinion, and the design was really poor, in my opinion. And I thought, well, there needs to be a book done on the Red Special. There really does. And so I rang Pete, and he said, oh, that sounds like a goer to me, brothers. And so what he suggested I did over the, over the ensuing four months was come up with a complete plan. So what that meant was all the subjects I wanted to cover... Um, the feel of the narrative um, I always wanted it to be in the first person because I wanted it to be like Brian talking to me as a fan and obviously by extension to everybody else so that was the only thing I was certain of I just came up with a load with all the questions that I could think of based on my knowledge of it and I picked a few brains along the way and came up with a number of chapters that would cover the subjects that we wanted to do, I knew that he'd already, he'd already written that piece um, about him playing on the roof at the at the Queen's birthday thing. He'd already written that, and he wanted guitarists to print it, you know, back in the day, but we couldn't make it happen. So I knew that was there. So I knew that was a that was a chapter, um, and I obviously used the old trick of grabbing loads of old pictures with lots of help from Greg, of course, who ran the who runs the archive. Um, and I wanted to get as many pictures in there that hadn't been seen before. You know, the, the Live Aid one we've seen a million times, and there's one from the Game Tour that we've seen a million times. But there's quite a few in there that we haven't, just general um, agency shots or press shots that haven't been uh, reproduced thousands of times. But all that stuff, and Pete, once we started talking about it, Pete said, well, you know he's got all the plans and all the tools and all the, and, and all the photos. And because Harold had built a box brownie camera, they documented the entire thing. So that's where all those fantastic images come of the thing in bits, in black and white, with the original pickups on. So once I'd gone, had a chance to go through all of those with, with, white, with white gloves on, I hasten to add, 
and you know, and you've got the they've got the plans with the F hole and the the, the diamond in the diamond shaped inlays on the neck and some strange bridge and all what the hell's going on and uh, once allowed me to formulate a plan once you have a plan then that's when you have to come to pitch it and with pitches you've got about two minutes with anybody you know if I'm pitching an idea to you let alone pitching an idea to Brian May you've got two minutes so my opening gambit was I think we should take the guitar apart and instead of him going, get out of my house, he went, hmm, you know, he goes, hmm, which he does a lot. Pete went, everybody else went pale. He didn't say no. And off the back of there, once his interest was peaked, um, I, I made the pitch and he was happy for, for me to start working on it properly. So normally when you do this sort of thing, once you've got an idea, you have to go and get a book deal. But obviously that was... I've said that I didn't need to get a book deal because I was basically writing it for Brian. Now it's not a ghost writer because a ghost writer just takes mumblings and forms it into a narrative. Whereas what this was, was basically a five and a half hour interview in one hot August afternoon where we covered the, where we covered the entire thing. So all of the copy, all of the copy uh, for the first book, apart from the bit when he's playing on the roof of Buckingham Palace was a five and a half hour review. It was a five and a half hour interview, which was specifically tailored by me to go in one direction, then another, then another, to fill holes in the chapters, the chapter plan that I'd come up with. Cause I was very used to doing feature plans for, for the magazine. It's just a bigger version of that. Yeah. So instead of 3000 words, it's something like 30-odd, I think. I haven't, I've not counted them recently. It might be less than that, actually, because there's loads of pictures in there. But, um, yeah, he was well into it. I mean, it was, a, it was a difficult birth. I had to go and pitch it to the publishers, with, not with him there. So a friend of mine, Sarah Clark, who was an art editor on Guitarist at the time, came up with a few dummy covers and mock-ups of of spreads and just using getty images that we had and pictures of a burns rather than the picture of the actual guitar and they just need to make sure that i just wasn't some chancer because obviously anything that's got brian's name on it and queen's name on it sells you know they this is before the london stereography society was in in uh, in existence so a lot of the queen books went through this publishing house carlton books who are now welbeck but you just go in and just go and pitch it, and they said yes, go for it, and you you get a budget, and you just take it, you just take it from there. And it sounds very easy, but it was about seven or eight months of planning because obviously Brian doesn't make any decisions very quickly, and everything, every single comma, has to go through him. So you do the interview, you transcribe it, you write it, you get it in the you you plan it out and lay it out, and just send him. A massive word document over email and then cross your fingers and three months later I hear back that he doesn't like it and it's like getting your homework back it's like oh god three out of ten see me so but that's his right you know when he wasn't like saying I don't like it do it again he said I don't like it because of this and because of that and he didn't understand he didn't I hadn't made a good enough job of explaining to him what I was trying to get across. So one afternoon, I was. He said, "Well, I've got some ideas. So why don't you come down to the house? Come down to the house. 
why don't you come down to the house? And so I went, we went into his office and he just had knee surgery the first time. So he wasn't in, he was, it was very painful for him. And we sat there for about three or four hours, hammered it out. He decided that it should be first person all the way through, which made it so much better. And he said, oh, I've just, it was dark by this stage. He said, oh, I've just got to go and, let's just go and get some air. So I'm just outside on, on the patio, again, his version of patio, not ours, stretching into the distance. And he said, oh, what's looking up a light in the sky? It's like a comedy sketch you'd write. Well, oh, so we went back into the house came back with a telescope that he'd built with his dad in the 60s. I built this just after the guitar, and I was going, yeah, didn't you? Okay, yeah. <laughs> and looked through it, and I thought it was an air, I thought it was an uh, uh, airplane coming into Heathrow, but it was actually Venus. And he talked all about Venus for 10 minutes. I like astronomy, but I'm, you know, I'm not, I've got a PhD in it. You know, I know where Saturn is, and that's about it. And then not to make jokes about Uranus with, by laughing. But we looked at through the homemade telescope that his dad had made after we'd spent three hours talking about the guitar that his dad had made with him. And that was, a, that was an absolutely surreal moment. And I went, went home and over the next two weeks rewrote the entire thing. Uh, and he said, that's more like it. And so we hammered it out a little bit more over email and uh, over the phone. I went down there one more time to go through pictures and to pick a cover image. And uh, it was signed off, and uh, the rest is history. So it took, from pitching to the launch party, it was about 19 months, something like that. But that length of time is purely down to how long it takes Brian to make a decision. And I say that with respect, because he's got much more pressing things to worry about than a book about the guitar. Definitely, and he's involved in so many other things as well. So any of yeah. his time is, is is very precious, I'd imagine, from his other passions um yeah and again wow what (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's cool it's a cool story it's so cool i mean yeah even just a chance to look through you know you you're there chatting about the guitar he built with harold and then you're there looking through Mm. the telescope he built with harold it's just must be crazy isn't it yeah absolutely like Words can't really uh, put into. Yeah, wow. What? A... No, I can see that. Well, I can see the words of the struggle for it. Well, as I said, <laughs> as I said before, it, it certainly seems like it's like it happened to somebody else. Yeah. I mean, a way of sort of, <coughs> excuse me, dealing with that is I wrote a sort of series just for that for that the Red Special website that I have no affiliation to. I hasten to and I just keep that going for the love of it. Really, it's sort of a marketing tool for the book, to be honest. But uh, I do enjoy writing, and I wrote a sort of five or six part story of how the book came apart. Uh, came apart. Came, uh, <laughs> I know how it comes apart really quickly. How it, how it, how it came to be. And uh, <clears throat> there's a whole, the whole story about, uh, about the telescope. But it just felt like it's happened to somebody else. And if I, have to, if I think that he's my guitar hero, and he's the reason why I play the guitar, which is true, although I've got much, I've got wider guitar influences than just Brian um, I don't know what I would have been doing I wouldn't have gone into guitarist if I didn't play the guitar or get into the guitar I could have got into the classical guitar and gone a completely different route um, but yeah looking through, looking through the homemade telescope of Venus in his back garden is bizarre to say the least I can imagine Pretty it's one strange. of those very special moments though and one of those like 
standing yeah. there watching yourself looking through it thinking this isn't happening to me is yep no absolutely well no in the book the f- i mean the first issue came out and we were all chomping at the bit to see it because we knew there's going to be some juicy details in there that we didn't know about or that you know more pictures yeah. for us red special anoraks to pour over the minuscule Indeed. minutia of how yep. big the uh the block of oak is that sits under the pot plate and um what mm-hmm. angle the the screws are inside the, the guitar and and all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's <laughs> all the good stuff. All the good stuff. Which means nothing to anyone else when you try and explain it to them, but to our band of merry men means everything when you start constructing Some Oh, absolutely. Well, my, my, yeah, my original idea was for it to be a hateable, to be like a Haynes manual for the Red Special, but that was shot down very quickly because Brian wanted it to be a much more human story, and it is. As we've said, as we alluded to earlier, the thread of his dad goes through the entire thing, the entire book, from page one to page whatever it is. And it's it's just him and his dad working away. Um, you know, they, they made it all up from scratch, but the scientific approach that they lent to it, like working out the scale lengths on a slide rule and the position of the frets on a slide rule, goddammit, let alone making that tremolo, you know, from springs from a motorbike or whatever it was, and the motorbike saddle and the knitting needle and all this—it's shelf edging. It's it's crazy when you go through the whole thing, but it's even crazier to, to think that they still got the original plans, as I say, you know, the hand-drawn design schematics from 1962 before they even started building the guitar. And that's the crazy thing, or the the most impressive part of this is we all devote our time to replication. And we replicate, we try to replicate Brian's sound, and we try and replicate what Brian plays. And to do that, we replicate his rig, and we replicate his amps and his treble boosters and his pickups. But and we replicate the guitar. And the book was able to give us a lot more information, so we could get even closer without actually having seen the guitar or taking it apart, and some and having those experiences which we've not even talked about yet, which we'll come back to. But um, Brian and Harold designed this thing it's not you know it's hard enough to build one when you know exactly what it's meant to look like inside and to replicate it but when you're building it and it doesn't exist and there is no nothing to copy that that's infinitely more difficult because you're having to create solutions to problems that you didn't even know existed and that there isn't a path well trodden to get to the guitar in existence you've got the clearly they didn't go down the fender slab get a bolt bit of wood and notch a hole in it and screw the neck to it and away you go it's it's intricate details that have never been replicated probably because it's so bloody difficult to build and it's it's not scalable but you know they're they're coming up with solutions to things that the guitar has withstood the test of time and it is the most iconic guitar i think in the world and it's an absolutely fantastic sound it creates and they created that from yeah. scratch. It's, mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, I still, str- I don't struggle with it because I understand, but I do hope people think about it in those terms because, yeah, yeah, crazy how clever they actually are, mm. and to be to be able to do yeah. that. I don't know where I'm going with this, but yeah, copying <laughs> stuff's easy. Copying stuff now with the book is a lot easier than it was if you're Brian and Harold at, in the '60s trying to make this up, and no absolutely it's um a testament to to harold's mind and brian's mind to be able to put it together Mm. um yeah into what it is and so 
sorry, I've completely rambled there, Simon, in my sorry. ridiculous Please feel free. ramblings. Um, <laughs> it's just that every time I speak to someone about it, I remember why I like it so much. And it's mm. it's not very often that you're afforded time to talk to someone about it in in the whole thing and someone else's story in in this sort of no, way. Normally my wife would be knocking on the door saying you've been on the phone too long. Or um <laughs> you're at the meetup having a drink with someone and someone else wants your attention or or um mm. someone else buys you a drink so you can slightly more inebriated and then you can't remember what you wanted to say and um Yeah. It's just great fun. But no It's good. So y- you also so you, I'm trying to think which is the best question to ask you next. You um you then go on so the the book goes out and it it does really well. Do do you know how many mm-hmm. numbers you've sold of it the original across the world or and it's a tall order to ask you off the top of your head. Uh, all I know is the first print run of the first issue. I've not got any figures for the second one sold out. I think the second I think the the first edition did about 21,000 worldwide, which doesn't sound much, but I think it did most of those in most of those copies in in Europe. It did a, you know, it did a few in America and even less in sort of Australia and Southeast Asia. This is these are the English language versions. The first edition had an Italian translation done and a Japanese translation done. Uh, I've no idea, I still don't know, and lots of people have asked me, with the uh, updated, the revised version, what translations are going on with that. The only thing I've heard, and this was months ago, is that they were looking at a South Korean version. And with respect to South Korea, maybe Spanish or German or French would have been, or Italian even, might have been a more marketable proposition. With the greatest respect to South Korea, it's a lovely country, lovely, lovely people, lovely food. Uh, but I, uh, I don't know. I don't know how many it's done. I just know that the the, the print runs have sold out. Um, but there's no plans to reprint it, as far as I'm aware. But I'm just need to be. Everybody needs to be aware that I only wrote it. I'm, I'm not privy to the publishing side of it at all. I want to be. I've asked to be included in it. But um, they're quite right not to add my little voice to what Brian wants or what uh, Jim Beach wants or yep. what the publishing company wants you know we had a launch party for the first one <coughs> excuse me and uh, for the second one the publishing company didn't do any publishing any um, oh, promotion for it at all nothing at all I thought there'd be a launch party or something but there wasn't anything like that and Brian didn't seem that interested either to be honest with you he was more interested in sort of the stereoscopy that was going on and I had to beg that he would do an Instagram post because lots of people read his Instagram posts and uh, he grudgingly did that with the greatest respect to him I mean I've not heard from him since I did the interview for the second for the second book so I don't know what's going on but and without any promotion it could have sold a lot more but uh, how it's not about the selling it's about getting it out there and that's it's out there and it's sold out so that's all we can do I think yeah and I think the additions are, are very welcome and how, how did the second book come about is that something you pushed for is that something brian asked to do off the back of the film uh that's a good question i can't remember offhand i think brian was keen to do something because of the film i think it came from him i don't i remember thinking that a chapter on the film 
would stick out a bit in a book about the guitar, the original guitar. But then Guyton had all the pictures of the of the uh, the, the mock-ups that they made for the film, and Brian was very keen on doing it. Um, and if he wants it to do, if he wants it done, then that's fine. And uh, Pete suggested that we did the, another chapter on all the work that's been done on it since uh, the nineteen ninety eight restoration by Greg. Uh, you know, which made sense. So I went down for an afternoon, and we just talked about the film and uh, Pete and. I, told me all the work that had been done and this is before the tremolo this is before the toe knob fell off in Dallas mm. but it was you know things like the machine heads uh, the E had the E the E the low E machine head had broken um, one of the tabs had come off the neck pickup the neck trisonic and falling into the strings all these little things and the replacement of the of the dot on the 12th fret the central dot on the 12th fret mm. all these sort of things which was interesting, and because there was documentation for it, like pictures, um, I had a, I had an hour-long chat with Guyton about it and spoke to Brian about it, and those two chapters came together quite quite easily, to be honest, because it was all there. Yeah. It didn't need a plan. It was just it was just filling the obvious gaps. As I said, I, I suggested I interview Gwilym, Gwilym Lee, and they were Brian was very much up for that. But unlike doing an orig the, the original book, you had to be aware of uh, the number of pages that you had. Uh, we only had um, a specific number of pages for these two chapters. So that was a constraint that I'm used to from magazines, but isn't usually a constraint at all if you're doing a, a reference book, let alone a novel. But, you know, that's, you know, that's my area of expertise, having been in publishing for 17 years. And it was, OK, we'll have to cut this and have a picture there. And I wrote a whole picture list uh, for the publishers. This picture needs to go here, and this one needs to go there, because they will all be supplied by Guyton, um, some by Nige, and some from Greg from the archive, as well as some shots of the guitars in the gallery, like the Ariel, for example, I had to get from BMG. I had to get a, a Guild BHM1 from Gary O'Donoghue in, in America, which some of you guys might know and getting photography done by those guys of that strange guild prototype that he plays on the on the Brixton live video and I can't remember, oh the, the Frank and the Baby Blue BMG which was shot with a tremolo arm over the pickups which I could have killed them for but hey I wasn't there they didn't wait for me to come down and direct it so but you know it sounds like I'm moaning I'm not I'm very happy with the way that it came out considering we didn't have that much time to do it and not that many pages in which to do it as well, more importantly. Is there anything that you thought later on that you found out or that you would have liked to have included, in, that you would have liked to have included that didn't get included in, in the, either of the books? No, I was happy with everything because it's about the guitar. Um, it's not about the amps and it's not about the pedal board and it's not about this and it's not about that it's all about the guitar and I don't think there's anything else in the guitar that we could have done I mean one point I was, I was going to mention is that what I used as a yardstick was if Brian said it then I would take that as, as the truth now it, what I mean by that is it's the knotty the knotty debate of whether the middle pickup was reverse wound and is in, is in, is, is in upside down now I had a long chat with Marky Reynolds about this and I'm happy to believe him. I told, I asked Brian and Brian says I don't remember doing that. I don't think it is no. So irrespective of what um, the, the prevailing winds may tell us, I decided that if Brian said it 
then that's what it would be and then it could be debated not by us lot really because we'll do it anyway yeah. but debated um, <laughs> debated ad infinitum because obviously he doesn't remember a lot of this stuff you know we as fans and anoraks as we've as, as we've said we know all this stuff he doesn't rem- he doesn't remember any of this stuff not, okay he does remember some of it but some of the details he doesn't remember and it's you know when the it's, it's which is strange is it though because you know if uh, originally my original trade was an electrician and i probably couldn't tell you which screwdriver i used to use when i wired a two a two a three pin plug originally because it was the job was to wire the three pin plug and i just used whatever screwdriver i had it's i'm not saying that the, the guitar's treated like a screwdriver but it's a tool to get a job done as much as it's this as i've personally said to you that totem of his father but you know they're there making music in the moment and doing things and changing things and trying to get this thing to work on the road and probably making adjustments on the fly it's probably things that you just wouldn't remember because you're you're busy worrying about something else that's far more important but to us you'd be like why wouldn't you write that down and document it and take a picture and make a note but again back then you didn't have a phone in your pocket you couldn't take a picture instantly and make a note could you it's a different time and well that's it. I mean, I, I, we didn't talk much about what it was like on tour in the 80s. I was more thinking about when they were actually building it. Um, you know, he remembers... Because what you've got to remember, he's, he's been asked about the guitar so many times. And as what I definitely wanted to do... I didn't tell, I didn't tell him this, but what, I didn't want him to say... Not palm me off obnoxiously, but to say the same old stuff over and over and over that I'd read in many magazine interviews with him about the guitar and everybody else has as well but I think the depth that he went into um, got us over that hurdle quite quickly and the fact that you know, the first chapter is talking about uh, you know his his um, his influences and his childhood really leads people in and then the second chapter is highly technical and then it all gets very anarchy which is which is what you want you know if he's got a scale of the scale lengths on graph paper and he's talking about hysteresis you know whatever that is <laughs> I'm lying I don't know what it is uh, it makes it it makes it a unique thing and that was the idea you know it's as, as, as unique as the guitar and people who are, don't care about the guitar could get a lot out of that book which is which is what I like which is what I like about it and there's nice pictures of Freddie doing this stuff there's nice pictures of guitars and if you don't care about hysteresis, then you can gloss over that and go back and look at nice pictures of Buckingham Palace. You can. I think it's, uh, it's, it, it's a, you know, that, that side of it was 50-50. I remember coming up with some of that stuff uh, in, in response to what he was asking for. Yeah, and, it's, um, and there's, I'm sure there's a thread on the old, old school forum about where probably Mark and Julian have taken clippings from all the different magazines as he's done interviews to, and they can see the contradiction mm. in in what he's saying about various things he's just not going to remember yeah. and put on the spot as well is you're never going to remember mm. exactly what you did on this day three 300 years ago when you were probably no. thinking about i've got a gig tonight and i, I, I don't really know what's happened to the guitar today <laughs> quite tired i've well, been traveling exactly, and, and uh, i've got to get up and play yeah, again for three exactly. hours tonight yeah yeah and that's that's why i needed a, a you know a and, and journalistic decision to be made by me uh, that if he said it's then that then that's what it would be because you've got to have a point of reference somewhere yeah. you know, I wasn't going to get anywhere by saying well in 1981 you said that you did this because he would have just gone oh, you know, don't contradict me boy 
<laughs> you know, it doesn't take doesn't take doesn't take much to get doesn't take. Uh, you know, if you're going to argue with him, that's you know that's when he'll turn off very quickly. Yeah. He's the most welcoming. He's as nice as everybody hopes that he is. I assure you. But if you argue with him, then uh, you won't get very far. Believe me. No, <laughs> I never had to argue. With him. <laughs> no, well, hopefully, as you just said, I think you've never had to argue with him. So. Well, he's always. He, to be honest with you, he's always he's always right. And if he wants one thing, and I want another, I can't think of a scenario where my desire to get my way would out would be more important than arguing with him about red is green and green is blue. It's just not. It's just not worth it. You know, it's his book and his guitar. Yeah. Um, I you know I I did come up with the whole idea and wrote it, but it was on the back of what he told me. Uh, it was basically a transcription of an interview that we did, as I say. So it's certainly fifty-fifty. Well, I think um, and, um, you and I both commented on an Instagram post the other day. Um, there is a, a thread here, but it was someone asking a question about Brian with the owl mask on um, playing live yeah. at the moment, and there's a lot of debate around. People don't like it. People like it, and I think both you and I said, or one of us said it, and the other one liked it and agreed that. It doesn't really matter as long as Brian's happy and enjoying what he's doing, whether or not you yeah, like it. Absolutely. Because if Brian's happy and is enjoying what he's doing, he's going to make the best music and put on the best show. And surely that's the most important yeah. thing, not whether or not you lo- think mm-hmm. it's a good idea to dress up with a sparkly owl mask. Correct. I'm sure that sounds like something you would say, but I completely agree. Yeah, completely agree. And they got rid of they got rid of it because he couldn't see it through it. He yeah. couldn't play Bohemian Rhapsody through it. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> She's crazy, isn't it? Because, I mean, one of the things yeah. that always brings a smile to my face and reminds me he's human is the Starlux video where he plays Bohemian Rhapsody a, a couple of, or a step too high or too low. Yeah. And um, mm. I remember, I mean, I'd learnt Bohemian Rhapsody. I wouldn't say I learnt it from that starlix video but i certainly picked up and mm. watched that video over and over and over and over and over and over again and yeah and mm-hmm. for, for years played bohemian rhapsody wrong not for, completely wrong but in the wrong position because brian did in that video yeah well yeah it's easily done isn't it just learning from videos yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> even the great man makes mistakes but not intentionally indeed and it doesn't matter and it still doesn't matter no it doesn't it's still at bohemian all rhapsody. because no, it, it makes no difference at all. And I think someone wrote mm. into the soapbox, didn't they, and asked him about it. And he's, oh, I play from positions and I have to start with the root. And I just must have picked the wrong one that day. But yeah, we've all been there. We have, and still there many times. Um, but the book, the book is brilliant, Simon. It's absolutely fantastic read. And thank you, John. The, the, I mean, the content in it and the written words and going through it chronologically makes a lot of sense but the detail that it goes into and it's up there with if you're an aspiring anorak or you want to join the the elite club you do well to read the book and take it all in because i've Mm. been studying the guitar from the forums for nigh on 20 years now and there were a couple things in there that i didn't know that i I got from the book and I, i was fairly confident with myself that i knew a fair amount about the guitar and it's nice to to learn that I didn't actually have all of it down and that there were a few few secrets mm. there that that I wasn't aware of so it's, so it's a g- good for that and um no it's it's just fantastic and your website as well that you you put up 
the stories that you put on there and the, the other photos that you've shared um you've been yeah. very gracious to share the picture of the red special the the big one for the the podcast as well which is on our facebook page um oh yeah i did make sure i asked you before i did it because i wanted to to get you permission. did yeah and um yeah well i i, I have to, I, you know i'm very keen about um permissions for photos i know lots of photographers who just get their stuff nicked left right and center so i'm very keen on that all i needed to do was just ask uh, Richard Gray, who took that shot, and he said, "Well, why would I care?" And I went, "Fine, John, <laughs> knock yourself out, mate." But as I've asked, that's all. And you, are, you, you do always ask, him, which is much appreciated. Well, I don't. think it's only right to because it's not my work; it's someone else's, and I don't yeah. want to steal anyone else's work. I happily Absolutely. ask you some questions on a podcast, and hopefully, ask you something someone else hasn't asked you, and make for an interesting listen. Mm. But um, if I'm gonna going to do something from someone else i'll ask permission because i think it's the right thing to do and it's it's respectful and i do have i'll probably get shot down for this but a fair bit of respect for you mr bradley for what you've done over the years oh thank you and um thank you very much i I do i mean i've been badgering you every year i don't know for how many maybe the last two or three (laughs) yeah you have come along to the meetup and you've been very good at providing me with information and and bits and pieces to bring along as well and, Mm. and supporting the meetups from afar even though you haven't come um, along. No, it's, we must as get... long as it, if I'm working, if I'm working, I can't. I, I, I have, I'm a part-time bus driver, mate. That's how the mighty have fallen. So unfortunately, if I'm working on Saturday night and I'm at, at six o'clock on Monday morning, I can't come to. I can't come to the meetup. I just can't do it. Well, but uh, this, but the planets will align. I assure you. I'm sure we could work something out. If if COVID nineteen allows us, this year's meetup is in o- October the ninth. In, okay. in Reading, in or in Thiel in Reading, in the uh, birthplace right. of the the recent meetups. Um, okay. So please, if you can make it, I know you'd be. Everyone would love to have you there and probably ask you lots of frustrating questions and and geek out. But, but I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to come seriously. But if I can, we will for sure. Promise. Good. I've got that on tape now. So. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, and. One of the other things I was going to ask you about, just because I read it and I love reading people's stories, but I do find there's something else when you actually hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And uh, mm. was it later last year or mid last year you you gave us a little bit of an insight into you um, auditioning for We Will Rock You in London? I oh. just thought maybe uh, yeah. worth you uh, talking me through that, if that's okay, and how that came about. And yeah, sure. Well. I th- I, I can play the guitar. I know which way around to hold it. I, I'm, 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 I can hold my own in most company, but I'm nobody's idea of a session player. I can't read music. But um, Pete rang at the, at the, the magazine one day. It must have been 2011, I suppose. And uh, he basically asked asked me if I knew of any guitar players, you know, local players, or in British players. Not well, not because it was it needs to be British players, but British players. Uh, who had any West End experience. So I knew a few, as I said, I think Phil Hillborn, of course, was the first guy I thought of, but there's uh, Sean Baxter as well, those sort of people. And I said, well, look, what's it for? And he said, well, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, brothers. He always starts stuff like that, don't tell anybody. And then tells me the most terrible things. But uh, they were, you know, they were putting, we were Rocky, the band together, you know, they'd got the musical sorted, they just needed a band for it. And they they were trying to fill all the slots. Two guitarists. They didn't need a singer, of course. Two guitarists, bass player, a keyboard player, and a drumist. 
And uh, I said, well, I'll come to, I'll, I'll do it. I can play the guitar, you know. And he said, he didn't go, he didn't for once go, I once go, well, it's not really your thing, mate. He said, yeah, absolutely. So I was allowed to, I was allowed to go through the whole auditioning pro, audition process. And as I subsequently found out, it's sort of meat and drink to a lot of players. You know, people, guitarists, session musicians, and people like that pay their bills getting a gig on We Were Rocky for 18 months. So in hindsight, I do feel a bit cheeky having a go, but then they wouldn't have invited me down and I got through to the last three. So it wasn't like I was just throwing a guitar down the stairs and saying, give me a job. Um, but uh, yeah, so you, you, you go down to the studios in Chiswick, I can't remember exactly what they're called. Is it Metropolis? I can't remember, I'll have to read the story again. And you just, you just, had, we had to learn um, Who Wants to Live Forever Oh and One Vision that's right and uh, you have, you have it's all a headphone but it's all, it's all new to me you know I've been done lo loads of demos for guitarists at this stage but this is sort of like it's all isolated I've got AC30s in the back in the isolation room which you can't hear unless you put your headphones on Brian and Roger and Mike Dixon who was the musical director was in the control room looking at you like this and uh, you just have to you just you know you just have to play so i just learnt the two songs that i could play them upside down left to right on your ipod just playing along um and it went really well i didn't make any mistakes and uh, i wasn't giving in there wasn't any music to read not that i could have read it anyway but it was just play along to one vision and they sacked the singers halfway through the morning of the first day so by the time my slot came around we had to do it with no vocals and you know the, the, the sort of cues that you get from vocals and lyrics in bands let alone playing one vision in front of roger taylor and brian may and mike dixon so does it go down down does it do that again no it doesn't but that bit before you know the, the hammer on solo you know i don't hammer on i'm a massive van halen fan and i don't but i don't hammer on in my style as it were so you have to learn how to do that on a red special it's all cramped you know the scale length is a bit weird um i had i still had the burns at that the, the 003 burns at that stage so i took that down um took me old i took all my leads and all that sort of stuff and pete was going what have you brought all that stuff for that look and there's leads and guitars everywhere i just struggled on the train like i was going to a gig you know <laughs> Uh, I just sort of turned up with 40 B and H and a Cornish pasty for Pete, you know, like I normally do. But it was, you know, it was a very thinking back on it now. I was, I wasn't out of my depth because I can play guitar with any, with anybody and hold my own. I really can. It sounds very boastful, but it is true. And I could, I played that. I've, I've practiced it so long, those two songs, and my versions of it, by luck, fitted into the versions that they had. So the strange bit in one vision with all the all the strange echoes going on, all those sort of bits, which is like thousands of guitars going on before the final chorus comes in. You know, just think about learning that for five minutes and think about which bits you'd pick out to play. I just picked by luck uh, the the right bits, and the same the same goes for who wants to feel, who wants to live forever. You know, doing those volume swells. Uh, on the red special which I'm not used to wasn't used to playing the red special uh, my burns at that time um, 
but I got I, I got through to the last four. It sounds like uh, the voice, but we got through to the last four. And because I hadn't done a West End show before, they decided that my lack of experience would be a problem. And they were probably right, but I was so disappointed not to get it. Uh, Alan Darby got it, who played with Clapton and people like that. And good old Jamie Moses as well. And everybody knows his connection, that's fine. You know, Neil Murray was playing the bass. Um, you know. I must say, I thought if they were going to... No, I don't know Jamie, but he's a great player, don't get me wrong. I'm not disrespecting Jamie at all. But I thought if they were going to pick Jamie, what was the point of having guitar auditions? You know, if you're going to have Jamie and Neil, you may as well just pick Jamie and Neil because Brian knows exactly how good those two are. So I felt that was a bit strange. But then, you know, it's nothing to do with me. I'm just a writer and guitarist. And then however many months later it was, Pete rang up and said, uh, well, it, wasn't, it wasn't Pete, it was Sarah Bacuss actually said that Jamie decided he didn't want to do it and they were going to start the auditions for another slot. Would I still be interested? Yes, absolutely. And so we had to learn, what song did we have to learn? I can't remember. I have to, I have to read the story, put it on the spot here a minute. I'll have to, I'll have to remember the story. And, uh, God, what song was it? Edit out, edit out. I can't remember. Everybody's, everybody's shouting at me, you plonker. Oh, um, Hammer to Fall, sorry, yeah, I knew it was an easy one. Uh, so I learnt Hammer to Fall, but of course, well, the version I had was on the album Queen Rocks, and it's it's in A, isn't it? Yes, of course, so I played it in A, but the actual on the CD, it's somewhere between A and G sharp. Maybe a sample rate or something. So I had to tune the guitar down every time I did it, and, you know, tuning a Red Special down with 9 to 42s makes it go even more out of tune than it normally is so I found the rehearsal side of it in the kitchen a bit more strenuous than I had previously um, the, the, the auditions were taking place at Rogers Studio rather than in London so I had to drive it's sort of the arse end of Godalming in Surrey the weather was awful my car kept conking out it was so stressful I couldn't find the place at all it's the biggest house you've ever seen but there wasn't a front door, you know, they had to go through the fields and all this sort of stuff. So it was very stressful before I even got there. I was the first up, so I'd been there about 15 minutes and I was, I was first up. And it turns out they were very keen to see me because they, they were very hopeful that I would be good enough to do it. But unlike the last time, I was shit, quite frankly. Because <laughs> apart from anything else, the amps were in the same room. Oh. Uh, and it's, it's not an excuse because well it is an excuse but it's a reason why I was so crap because it was so loud that you couldn't hear what you were playing and again that sounds really stupid and again there were no vocals and I le I'd learnt the wrong I'd learnt the wrong version I'd learnt the single version rather than the version that would rather than the album version and uh, I broke a string and we had a jam that was in the wrong key and uh, it was just a nightmare from beginning to end. So I'd gone from being quite hopeful to not not being able to wait to get out of there, you know. And uh, you'd think playing, and Brian was just, Brian was just had his head in his hands like that, and he stood, he sat there in front of you. Well, I say in front of you, thirty feet up against the wall in this colossal studio of Rogers. And it's just uh, he really wanted the ground to swallow. He really wanted the ground to swallow you up. So it was a great life. It was a great experience. 
but it's ultimately not one that ended well. But I think, you know, if I'd had however many years or months on We Were Rock You, it would have been, I would have been well out of my depth. I really would, because you would have had to have learnt how to read music. And you can't read music on the fly playing the guitar, you know. Like, you know, I used to be, I used to play the bassoon when I was a kid, and that's not a euphemism. It's actually a bassoon, and I could, <laughs> and I could uh, read music then. But you know, I can't be reading an, an arrangement of something like Crazy Little Thing Called Love, which most of us can play really well, if it if it morphs. And I'm just spitballing here, but it morphs into Hammer to Fall in the middle of it. You know, I, you know, I couldn't have done that. So in hindsight. I'm quite lucky that I didn't get the gig, but at the time I was distraught, absolutely distraught, because I'd screwed it up, pure and simple. It wasn't anybody's fault. I just screwed it up. Another. But hey, <clears throat> I couldn't imagine being in a room and playing in front of Brian either, especially something he wrote. That, that must be. Yeah. That must be. Not not something I'd want yeah, to well, do. But, no, that just added. That just added to the whole squeaky bum time side of it to be honest with you and you did feel like you were a little fly under a microscope and they're all looking at you because they're in a circle I'm by the drums trying to get cues there's no vocals as I say so it's impossible to find out what's going on and everybody knows how to play the riff to hammer to fall so he goes okay okay go and it's so loud as I say so loud and something's going in the background it's going of course Neil's incredibly loud the drums are incredibly loud and Spike was playing the keyboards as well so <laughs> it was just one thing after another mucked up the bit before the solo mucked up the solo had a jam in B but it was actually in A or the other way around and then I broke a string and said uh, I think I'll go home and cry which such I almost a, did such a shame but yeah, I don't know what to say, Simon, to console you. I don't know if there is anything to. Have they ever mentioned well, it to you I'm, since? Or um, we we talked about it. <coughs> excuse me, we talked about it the, the last time we were with the book, actually. Uh, but even Brian, oh, actually, I won't tell you what he said because he might not want me to say. But Pete said, "Oh, it's like being in prison, brothers. You got away with it there." And I thought, well, maybe I would have liked to have given it three or four months. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm so not deserving of a West End theatre slot playing the guitar in a band, really, because some guys work their asses off to get something like that. So for me to just walk in would have been a bit unfair. Not that I would have cared about that at the time, no. but I think doing eight shows a week for six, 12, 18 months would have been too steep a learning curve that I, for me to be able to handle. I really don't think I would have been any good at it at all. And then would have got sacked. And then that would have been left an even nastier taste. Yeah. So I can look back on it now as an experience, as you say, playing through. You know, it wasn't just one AC30; it was bloody three, all linked together, of course. In the, I mean, you know, why can't we just have a Line Six pod for God's sake? It's three AC30s <laughs> on ten. Yeah, well, the usual thing. Yeah, and it's one of wow. those things you, you get the. G- <laughs> unless you've had that opportunity, uh, some of us have been fortunate enough to speak to various people who buy three AC30s and get a splitter and get the chorus and yeah. stuff and you stand there in front of it and you turn it up full and you think this is going to break the house and when you get it right mm. and the planets align it's a fantastic feeling with the red special because it does talk to you and you, yes. you feel completely connected with mm. what you're playing and this the guitar yes, and the sound coming out is one and you are at one with it and the guitar vibrates and mm-hmm. it's 
it's a very special feeling and when you finally yeah get in control of it um and work with it rather than against it it, it is very special but i can just in that situation with it up for <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just um it's really awful it can and it can go wrong so quickly even if you're on your own in your your music room trying to do it um yeah which again you must then a whole new level of respect for what brian and queen were doing all those years ago up on stage playing that stuff oh yes it's uh, it's it's ridiculous as i said the volume is, is as we all know is, is just cataclysmic and the you know he still has the same volume now just with these monitored monitoring systems i don't mean the in-ears because he doesn't really like those but you know for him to go he was no he didn't want to go with wireless but now he knows it adds what six db of gain more the sennheisers add loads more gain onto it he likes it now he goes oh i need that gain i need that gain and i was thinking you need more gain he says just well i need it you know just to fill it under the fingers i'm going hey man it's your it's your funeral that's fine whatever you want of course just keep playing will you but it's as loud as ever and now that pete's got the rig running perfectly now with nigel's help yeah. with that uh power attenuator kikasui thing it sounds better it sounds better than ever and he's playing really well in respect to what anybody thinks about adam i think adam's great for queen and they are queen with adam lambert again i have no interest with people who say oh, queen died with freddie because they plainly didn't and as long as we can go every couple of years until he decides he's too old to the nec or wherever and listen to that guitar and those boxes sounding like that I don't care, if, John. I don't care if you're singing. It's just I don't can go monkeys. Oh, I think you can hear that guitar. It's 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 what it's all about. I think if I was up there singing, you would care. <laughs> You'd be saying something well, okay, completely differently. Maybe, maybe ten minutes in. Maybe ten minutes. Was he at his foot? Just give it all the deos, Johnny. But you'll be fine. Deo. There you go. <laughs> for, for one night only. It's uh, no. <laughs> Thank God, said everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's it everyone's left already where's it guys where have you gone yeah I've done it Simon Simon are you still there <laughs> <laughs> no I think I mean I just it, what you can see in him now is he's enjoying himself the Rogers enjoying himself they're really enjoying what they do Queen to me yes. when they played with Paul Rogers I was up for going to see them and I saw them loads of times because it was my opportunity in my lifetime to see Brian May, my guitar hero, play in front of me with the Red Special. But it, it never really felt like a Queen gig because it never looked like a Queen gig. Like The show wasn't there. The, no. the grandeur wasn't there. It was more like um, how you would expect to see a rock band that wasn't Queen playing. It's probably not explained this very well. But then I went to see... I took my wife to Dublin for her birthday and we saw Queen and Adam Lambert. And it was like mm. smacked you in the face. This is we're watching Queen right now. This is not just about the music. Yeah. This is the whole thing. This is a show. This is an experience. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, people criticise because they probably can, and they're sat behind their keyboards and they want to, and that makes them feel good about themselves. But it's yeah. um, <coughs> it's Queen and Brian and Roger and everyone involved is having a whale of a time, and they're putting on a fantastic show, and not one person that in that place of wherever you're watching it isn't singing love of my life with brian playing it and the hairs on the back of my neck still stand up and when that magical moment when yeah, freddie comes on the screen and it's um mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's definitely definitely more queen now than ever yeah yeah no 
and I'm now thinking about all of the the wonderful things they do in the show to honor Freddie and and the band mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. It's a great thing, and I, it, in many ways, it's a, a shame that COVID's got in the way and they weren't able to tour. And um, it's been postponed another twelve months. But I just think we're lucky that yeah. they they're even thinking about coming out again and doing it. And let's hope mm-hmm. that there's another few tours in them so we can see them a few more times. Yeah, I think I've I've got a funny. I've, I don't have any inside information. I assure you, but I don't think they'll do anything after once this one's done. I think it'll be it be a long time before we ever see them do it again. If 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 so, I hope I'm wrong. I'm very hope I'm wrong. I don't have any inside information. I reiterate, but I don't know. They're just tired. He's just tired the whole time now. Yeah. But when is it? But uh, but we'll see. I hope I hope they do. I just you know I just hope they do because Adam's fantastic. Yeah. He has breathed new life into them. He really has. And you can see Brian smiling when he's playing now, which yes, you you yeah. go back to watching Paul Rogers, and I wouldn't say he's not enjoying it, but it's a different experience for sure when you. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a different experience when you've got to do what I can't remember what three songs they did. Oh, they did all right now, didn't I? Just well. as soon as they do that, and wishing well, as soon as they do that, that makes them more of a cabaret act than any accusations of Adam being just a cabaret singer. Um, I love Paul Rogers, don't get me wrong. I, I never, I didn't want to go and see them with him. I thought that, well, I thought that'll do. But then when Adam came along and uh, you see some videos of him and then we went whenever they played last 2018, was it? The one before Chris, just before Christmas. He was absolutely fantastic. We managed to, Pete managed to blag us in and it was just, it was like seeing him in 1980. It really was. He's nothing like Freddie. He's different. Just because he's a gay man and can sing, that's about it, yeah. you know. But the, like, but you, you're absolutely right. The grandeur was there, and seeing them in 1980, and then seeing them in 2018, it was the same sort of feeling, the same sort of vibe. And uh, I'm sure that wasn't there with Paul, no. But I didn't see them live, so I shouldn't really comment on that. Well, it's, but, yeah, I don't think it worked. Yeah, I mean, I, I always look at. I'm sad, and my. my work background makes me look at things in construction and facilities and logistics and how you'd go about making that work or do do that thing and yeah. um what i took away from seeing them with adam was that they're, they're pushing the envelope again on on modern stage setups and what you can do live and that's yeah. that is the queen mantra that's what they used to do mm-hmm. throughout the whole of queen isn't just what can the music do but that that show what can they do to those lights we talked about live killers so iconic yeah. and not done by anyone else mm-hmm. and they're still pushing no. pushing those boundaries now and trying to use new technology and see what else they can get away with or do or make work on yeah. and you think that that machine is touring it's not just sat in one place for them to film a video it's that whole frank rig and stage yeah. curtain and brian stand you know they're having to take that with them that's that's not easy to yeah. to engineer and you, you could just no. put a stage out and have brian and roger and Adam play, and people would still enjoy it, but they go the extra mile because that's the the right thing to do, and yeah, it really comes across, I think. Absolutely. Simon, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you tonight. We've probably wasted far too much of your time, but thank <laughs> you. Not a problem. Thank you. Been great to thank be you on. for agreeing to do this. You've been a, sure. a great insight, and I've been wanting to chat to you for years now, and luckily I, I reached out and you said yes, which I seem to be very fortunate with 
the podcast but if people wanted to find the book where's the best place to go and and find out about the well it's it's still on sale on amazon it's still there but theredspecial.com will get you through to the specific page on welbeck's site um i don't run any of those sites including the brian the the red special one i put content on there but the best bet is amazon to be honest and i i'll be doing less and less on that site now because there's not much i don't have any more pictures to put up there um but hopefully i'll keep it going and if there's something that i post on there that's of interest i'll make sure i put it on the forum so everybody gets to see it but i don't have any more pictures that i can think of although i have a trawl through my archive every so often and go oh there's a picture of a string and i put that on and we all love that sort of anorak rubbish so that's what that's what we're all here for but to buy the book the best best bet is amazon it's 12 quid last time i saw and uh, for information theredspecial.com simple as that lovely well and we hopefully you'll get a little bit more traffic from from people listening to this but i just yes, want to thanks. say thank you again for not only for agreeing to the podcast but for um getting a job at guitarist and writing all those articles <laughs> and enabling me and all of the other geeks out there to uh find out a little bit more about the guitar when information was so scarce and then yeah. for um creating such a wonderful relationship with with pete and brian that you pitched them the book and then were able to to bring that to life because it's it's one of those things that um i hold dearly to my heart because of what the guitar means to me and um it's a nice thing to own to go with my story my own story and i'm Mm. sure that must be the same for everyone else that bought a copy and without you that that wouldn't have come to to be so thank you very much for that well it's very kind of you to say that thanks very much thanks for having me on and um yeah keep safe mate and uh, i'll speak to you again at the meetup yes sir i promise i'll come when i can (laughs) cheers john Cheers, Simon. Thanks, mate. And that was Simon Bradley. Simon, thanks again so much for your time. It was great fun chatting to you and being in touch in between and to and since then. Thanks again, mate. Much appreciated. I really do hope that one year we can line you up with coming to the meetup, which segues nicely into talking about the Red Special Guitar Meetup this year in the UK. That is on the 9th of October. And if you want to learn more about that, please head over to redspecialguitarpodcast.com where there should be a page up soon with details. Or if you want to jump early, please head over to the Facebook page, either the Red Special Forum and look for the events or the Red Special Guitar Podcast Facebook page where there you will find all the details about how you can book pre-book tickets in advance to come along to the meetup. Now, I've had a few people email me asking if they needed to bring anything. No, you do not is the easy answer. There is so many people bringing so many different bits of kit um we've got everything covered already which is fantastic however if you do want to bring something either that you're working on or that you own or that you think might be interesting to other people then please please do but also don't feel you have to bring something to come along just a smile on your face and you so we can put a name to a face on the on the forum would be absolutely fantastic and is the whole point of the meetup but yeah you can find out all the information online And I would also like to say a massive thank you again to my patrons on Patreon. You guys rock. I couldn't do this without you. You and your little special group on Facebook keep me smiling when it's hard to sometimes. So thank you guys for that. And we have some more wonderful episodes lined up in the not too distant future. And I promise you I will get that guitar review out on YouTube of the Guyton Time Warp very soon. Very, very soon. So stay tuned on all of our social media platforms. 
Thanks so much again for listening, everyone. It means the world to me. It really does. You all keep safe, and I'll catch you in the next one.